Hey Flannel Nation, Matthew here. Brendan and I recorded a great episode last week, an interview with Chicago-based writer and journalist Noah Berlatsky about his new essay collection, Chattering Class War, Punching Pundits from Chait to Chapo and Brooks to Breitbart. We had a really fun discussion with Noah, he's an interesting guy, but there was a technical issue we didn't discover before editing, and the first half of the interview was lost to the land of wind and ghosts. Luckily, we stopped the recording for a break, and it sorted out the issue. So, here it is, the second half of our interview with Noah Berlatsky. Okay, three, two, one, let's go. Sam Harris and Jordan Peterson, you know, they're an alternative to the alt-right. They pull people away. They're peddling, you know, racist bilge. Right, yeah. I mean, they're, at best, they're alt-right adjacent. Yeah. Like, how is it an alternative to the alt-right to, like, say, oh, you know, yeah, black people are, like, you know, intellectually inferior, and women are responsible for, like, people sexually assaulting them because they wear makeup, or Muslims are irrational and violent. You know, yeah, like, it's, it's truly amazing how many of these alternatives to the alt-right talking points sound exactly like alt-right talking points it's the same bell curve bullshit right well and it's funny too because sam harris will rail against like francis collins who was like the director of the national institute of health but was also like an evangelical christian but francis collins has the wherewithal to say look i keep those things separate there's my religion and then there's like my science work Hmm. and i understand that they're incompatible but those are two separate parts of my life but sam harris is like Nope, I'm going to mix mine all together. My rationality and my racism, I'm not going to say like, hey, those two two things don't actually go together. He's going to like, I'm going to find a way to make my racism part of my rationality. Well, I mean, I, I laugh in a similar way about Jordan Peterson, who his fans are always talking about. You know, you can't criticize the guy online because all of his fans will pile on you and say like, you didn't understand. He's using logic and reason to you know describe his positions you just like missed a logical step along the way but if one of the steps is that women are made out of chaotic dragon energy like i don't know what the fuck to do with that as a scientist like i i don't know how to chart that out using my little logical symbols i mean he's transparently a fool like i mean he just doesn't know what he's talking about hey he knows his disney movies he loves his disney movies so You know, I mean, like his discussion of lobster biology and is completely <laughs> is complete right. nonsense, right? This discussion of uh, like he talks about Derrida and like he has no idea what Derrida said. Like it's a, he doesn't even seem to have read a summary, right? Like he didn't read like the first paragraph of the Wikipedia introduction. Well, he talks about you know he postmodernism and like interpretive philosophy and stuff, but everything that he says is basically cribbed from Carl Jung. Except he obviously has never read Carl Jung, or he would know that already. You'd think. Right, so, like, why is this guy, oh, you know, you're not willing to engage with the right? I mean, like, what's there to engage with? Like, yeah. this is, it's like all nonsense. Absolutely. There's nothing there. You, you, but you have to engage with it, because he's, like, got such a big platform, right? He's a best-selling author. He, tons and tons Somehow. of people, like, you know, <laughs> swear by him. And, and and because he's so successful, you know, you get people who, like, really you'd think should know better, like Connor Friedersdorf saying, you know, oh, well, you know, people are being unfair to him, not really yeah. engaging with what he has to say. And it's like, what he has to say is really complete nonsense or it's hateful. Like, or it's so facile that right. there's no reason to really engage with it. It's just truisms. It's just frustrating because there are lots of people who actually have, like, smart things to say. 
like um, Julia Serrano, who's a writer who I'm who I think is wonderful. Yeah, writes about who's a biologist who writes about trans issues, but she also writes about the thing that we were talking about, which is like interleft arguments. Yeah. And she's like, you know, very smart and very lucid and really is, you know, sort of like, like all the things that like Sam Harris and Jordan Peterson like claim, you know, oh, we're, we're using reason. We're very, you know, we're calm. We don't, you know, get excited. We're like really careful, <laughs> which is not true of them. I mean, you know, I mean, like she's... we definitely don't break down crying every time we do a YouTube video, whether it's appropriate or not to do so. The craziest thing to me is that, you know, people like Sam Harris and that who, they provide a useful service to the alt-right because it gives them that veneer of scientificness and of rationality and respectability where they don't actually care to engage with the argumentation like Sam Harris does, but they are appreciative that he's out there doing that so that they can just point to him and say, well, look, I'm not crazy because this guy's like a scientist and he says it too or whatever. It's like the one scientist that the Republicans can find who got paid off by the oil companies to say (laughs) climate change. Like maybe it isn't real that they can just use to point to that guy and be like, well, that just justifies like me saying any kind of anti-scientific nonsense that I want to say because this guy half-heartedly agrees with me in in limited instances. It's an intellectual double standard where – they hold a position because it feels right to them. There's there's an emotional basis for what they believe. It's not really based into uh, in in logic and reasoning from first principles. But you have to make sure that your takedown of that position is logical and argued from first principles. So if you want to or- if you want to argue with Jordan Peterson, you know you've got to go watch three thousand hours of him moping about on YouTube. Or otherwise, like, you're leaving something out of the argument. You know, like, no, <laughs> what he says confirms your pre-existing biases. It really is up to you to, like, justify why that's a good position to take. It was interesting with, the, with you know, in Ezra Klein's discussion with Sam Harris, right? Oh. Sam Harris said... Oh, yeah. Oh, I listened to him. You know, he says, oh, you shouldn't reason based on identity, right? But then he also says that he was sympathetic to Charles Murray... <laughs> because Charles Murray had also been criticized by the left. And Ezra Klein says, well, that's, well, that's an identity. You're, you're saying that you are championing him because you feel solidarity with him, sure. because you feel you're in the same position. And Sam Harris just could not understand. He was like, no, that's not an identity. No, it's, it's different. Like, he, he didn't even like <laughs> right. get to that. He like, just like, couldn't understand what he was saying. He was like, no, I reason from first principles. And Ezra Klein was like, no, but you just said... And he said, no, <laughs> you know, I mean, like, like, so, I mean, basically it's this idea that the only identity is a marginalized identity, right? Identifying with white people doesn't, doesn't count. That's the way it's always been though, right? Yeah, when, right. when you live in a system that prioritizes and makes the default, the cis, het, white, male, middle class or above with some amount of education respectable profession when that's when that's your default identity then that becomes background noise you don't notice it the way somebody who doesn't fit any one of those categories doesn't fit it when they start talking about their thing you feel like they're an interloper into what was a very comfortable status quo right well and that to me is the most frustrating thing about sam harris because he has literally himself made that argument about things like christian privilege we're saying when you are getting your christian privilege taken away it feels like you know an assault it feels like an attack it feels like you're losing even though you're actually just coming to an equilibrium 
but yet he can't recognize it when you start to talk about race relations or, you know, interreligious relations in the Middle East and stuff like that. He totally shuts down that line of argumentation. Yeah, the same way uh, any alt-right, like, anti-feminist will talk about, you know, male privilege is this myth, like, you know, masculinity is under attack. And it's not that. It's just the perceived lack of being ahead in the game or loss of being ahead in the game feels like you're losing, which, okay, it, yeah, it probably does, but that's identity politics as much as the, the people who are trying to make more room at the table. Yeah. We're just going to just sit and think about that for a minute. <laughs> mm, that's a thinker. <laughs> I'm sure we'll figure it out before the midterms. <laughs> We got like three weeks. <laughs> Actually, the the Nebraska uh, primary is oh, yeah. on Tuesday. Yeah, there are a bunch of primaries. Yeah, dude, has Liquid Flannel endorsed uh, any of the candidates from Nebraska yet? <laughs> I mean, probably at various ages. Nebraska politics are are pretty rough because, like, for example, for the governor's race, we have Pete Ricketts as the current governor who's being challenged on the right by a liberal who switched to her party to Republican to run on an exclusively pro-marijuana platform. Oh, yeah, that's right. But then on the Democratic side, the leading frontrunner is a former Republican who switched his party (laughs) to run against (laughs) the Republicans of the state. So we're all kinds of mixed up over here. It's it's probably not going to end well. Yeah, just straight up party identification is identity politics at this point which is that's oh it always has been that's disappointing it's the most extreme version of that i would say because you have so many people who will go and they'll be like don blankenship like hey as long as a republican wins like couldn't care less like guy straight up murdered 30 people through his negligence like don't care i just want to own the libs on this one (laughs) so he got crushed Thankfully. So that was that was good to see. Yeah, he did. That was that was refreshing for sure. Yeah, I mean I actually there's a book called Democracy for Realists, which is a great book, which is about um sort of it's a summary of sort of political science findings over the last however many years. And yeah, I mean basically people vote on partisan identity, right? They vote on Democrat or Republican and they don't vote based on policy. They vote based on who they identify with, which is a lot about who's who's in their party. Right. And like, that's not even necessarily a bad thing. Right. Because I mean, mostly people don't necessarily know a ton about politics. Right. Most people don't pay that much attention. And so select like voting for the Democrat when you don't necessarily know very much about them. is like, I mean, it's a perfectly reasonable thing to do. Right. Because then you have a pretty good sense of like where they come out on a bunch of issues. As long as your party does actually stand for something. Which is more and more the case, because there's been more and more ideological assorting. You know, I mean, the problem is that the Republican Party has, like, you know, lost its mind. They end up nominating people who are, you know, racist conspiracy theorists. Right. And they keep doing that, right. you know, and then that causes problems. Well, they've, d- they've done it to themselves because they set themselves up into a situation where the most far right person almost automatically wins in so many, you know, of these districts where it's so gerrymandered that it's easier to run to the right of your incumbent rather than running to the center of your incumbent. So they've really put themselves <laughs> into that position by saying, hey, yeah, if you're a Republican, you know, you're probably going to win no no matter what. And it brings these people out of the woodwork sure. that, you know, wouldn't normally have any right to win. But because they're automatically winning, if they if they can get it, enough media attention and you get more media attention by being more ridiculous and extreme. And, and Trump has really opened the door to 
people being even more ridiculous and more extreme. Thankfully, with Blankenship, it didn't it didn't pay off. But, yeah, you bet. Uh, I don't think he's the last ridiculous person we're gonna see. Right. Yeah. But that was even that was a ridiculous gamble by uh, the Democratic Party to these rumblings of we should make sure that he's the one who wins because he would lose in the <laughs> in the general. Yeah. No, that's a bad idea. That's exactly how we got Donald Trump. This highlights the importance of having these robust primaries where you actually have leftist or progressive challengers to Democrats, because otherwise they end up like, uh, who's the, who's that firmly ensconced Illinois politician who's going to end up running against the like card carrying Nazi. He's not going to have to budge on any of his positions. He's, he's free to move to the right as much as he wants now, because there wasn't a robust primary against him. All of the focus was on who's going to win this Republican primary. Is it going to be the Nazi who's the <laughs> only guy running? Probably. Right. Yeah. Yes. Whereas his his opponent was like a second generation. Like his father held the seat and then he just passed it down to him uh, on the Democratic side. Yeah, right. There's a very right leaning Democrat who I think you're talking about, who did have a primary challenge. And it was, it was, I mean, like it was a real challenge. Okay. They just, they didn't quite manage it, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, and, and sometimes you lose and that's fine. I mean, losing a primary is fine, but I think that's, it, it just highlights the importance of making sure that your party does actually stand for a thing because if they're not being challenged, if they're really not being challenged on any kind of substantive issue, then they just kind of slide to whichever way is easiest. And in American politics, the place that's easiest is the place with the most money to spend, which is on the right. You know, I mean, I'm glad that uh, Diane Feinstein is getting a primary because she's more right wing than I'd like. Right. Uh, Cynthia Nixon is kind of great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I hope she wins. Well, and yeah. even if she doesn't win, it's been pretty amazing. We've talked about this on the show before, too, just how much uh, Andrew Cuomo has had to change positions on things yeah, yeah. because she's advocating for yeah. things that make sense to people and their their progressive policies and all of a sudden you've got a bunch of people saying no i'm gonna vote for her instead of the instead of the incumbent and he goes oh shit maybe it's time maybe it's time that i finally change my view on this yeah yep it definitely pushes people to the left when you have primary challenges which is good i was glad kucinich lost oh that's like the ohio thing <laughs> you know he's sort of presented himself as a challenge from the left but he's kind of awful so but i, I guess yeah. it seems like the prevailing opinion on the mainstream left right now is that you should do everything you can to run as a centrist uh because they think that that's the more winning strategy and it, it could be maybe well sure it's the courting the the racist working class trump voter you know the strategy that never works out for them. That's always been conventional wisdom. You know, but I mean, I think there's less and less... I mean, the thing about Trump winning the lesson is that policy positions are kind of a lot less important than people think they are. Like, Democrats will sometimes win and they'll sometimes lose. But I think the idea that further left Democrats will always be at a disadvantage is... You know, I mean, Doug Jones won as a as a pro choice candidate in Alabama. Yep. So, I mean, I think that a lot of the conventional wisdom about who who can necessarily win is uh, worth questioning. There's this progressive line that you know that oh, progressives would always win if they could just get on the ballot, which I don't think is true either. Like, what positions you take matters less than just what party right. you're part of. <laughs> so, there's a big. And so, I think that 
leftists should try to win primaries because if you win the primary and you're on the ballot, yeah. you're in with a chance, you know? Yeah, absolutely. It is kind of funny, though, that the equivalent of running as a radical leftist, you know, in a Democratic primary is that your radical position is maybe like, I support Medicare for all or like, you know, I think <laughs> right. the government should do more about, you know, climate change or like end private prisons and, you know, stuff like that where on the right it's like cocaine mitch and like we should build the wall you know export people i'm a literal nazi the, yep. d- the division is stark right i mean donald trump's policy is literally ethnic cleansing right i mean he's he's trying to get rid of you know he's trying to deport people who aren't white like that's that's the policy yeah. so that's like the mainstream republican policy now yeah absolutely and and if not deport them then at least make their lives so miserable and so hard to live and and to be politically engaged that you never have to worry about them as a voting block yeah. again. I think that was the famous policy yeah. of a uh, known centrist Mitt Romney. <laughs> <laughs> Did you hear uh, Mitt Romney attended the Met Gala? Oh, really? I thought that. Did he? I thought that was kind of interesting. It doesn't seem like his scene. Does he dress up as the sexy like diamond pope like Rihanna, or he just wore like a normal? <laughs> so, did you see that picture of him at the Utah Jazz game wearing? a jersey over his like suit and tie <laughs> it was amazing i did not well that's the the sequel to uh jared wearing a, a flak jacket over his like brooks brothers or whatever <laughs> hey noah thank you so much for hanging out with us uh it's been yeah thanks for having me it's been a lot of fun to uh read the book do you want to before you go, do you want to plug the book one more time and tell people where they can find your work online? Yeah, it's on Amazon. It's downloadable. There's a paper copy, too. I think I've sold like three paper copies. So <laughs> you, were, you were really bad at this. Okay, the title of the book is... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I can say that. It's Chattering Class War, Punching Pundits from Chate to Chapo and Brooks to Breitbart. Nice. Uh, it's on Amazon. I've got other books on there, too. Which you can also look up. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, quite a few actually. Churn them out. Uh, it's like five bucks. You can get it digitally. You can get a paper copy. Buy them for all your friends. <laughs> You're also very active on Twitter. I am on Twitter. I, uh, my handle is nberlat, N B E R L A T. Cool. So, yep, you can find me there all too. Right. Well, again, Noah, thanks for being with us. I think we'll take a quick break and Brendan and I will come back and try to find a high note from this week. But All right. Good luck. Yeah, thanks. Well, we're, <laughs> we're awfully glad to have had you with us. Yeah, thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Yeah, so we're back. Just me and Brendan now. Brendan, you're going to a party this weekend? Yeah, we're going to a after-hours Harry Potter party at the Omaha Children's Museum. Ooh, after-hours at the Omaha Children's Museum. That sounds dope, actually. I loved the Children's Museum growing up. It's pretty nice. They do, the downstairs is kind of always the same, but the upstairs is like a rotating exhibit. I think, actually, the upstairs exhibit currently, if it's not there yet, it's going to be there very soon, is a Ninja Turtles-themed rotating exhibit so i'm interested to see what that is because i'm not really sure animatronics or they're just going to spray all of the kids with radioactive ooze and see what happens yeah uh, that sounds pretty fun yeah it could it could happen but yeah i'm psyched to see how this harry potter party goes stephanie my wife has been uh sewing harry potter robes uh, (laughs) which are looking totally sick i'm really psyched for that i do need a little help though like what kind of outfit do you think 
I should wear like I was like oh should I just like wear a Harry Potter themed t-shirt and jeans or oh yeah should I should I play it up well I mean if you guys are going in robes I don't see why you shouldn't go full cosplay right so well the yep. kids are gonna go in robes oh okay you guys don't have as the adults we weren't yeah we didn't we didn't make adult size robes gotcha gotcha for ourselves oh when you said it was an after hours party I assumed that that was you know it was like adults hanging out at the children's museum drinking or something like they do at the perot museum here every once in a while <laughs> but it is a family event the kids are going to be there okay. too so but uh, yeah i think maybe maybe i'll try to dress it up you know just get like a vest or something that seems pretty harry pottery right i'm trying to think of uh yeah vests <laughs> sure yeah oh that peeps are always vesting over there man do you have any really ugly like cable knit sweaters or something you could go as friends of the Weasley family. Mom Weasley made you these horrible sweaters. <laughs> I'm trying to think of any other uh, like incidental characters from that that aren't an extreme elaborate costume. Like right. you know, you could go as a Dementor or something, but you know, that's that's a lot. <laughs> yeah, we've been recently listening to the audio books, uh, like when we're on long car trips and stuff. Yeah, is it the the one that's read by just the one guy, the one like British guy all the way through? So there's actually t- yeah, so there's actually two different ones. There's like Jim Dale, and then there's like did Stephen Fry do like the British one? Maybe. Oh, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. I think he maybe he did, but Jim Dale is the one who did like the quote like the American versions. Yeah. Of them, and he does a he does a pretty good job. The version where they don't call Severus Snape a prick. When they're in, like, third grade or whatever. There's a lot of changes. Like, I thought... So, I read the British Philosopher's Stone version because my dad took, like, a business trip in the 90s and was like, hey, this book is the hotness over there. (laughs) And I was like, I don't know what this is or whatever, and I read it. But, like, even though the main difference in the things that people point to is like, oh, in the American version, they say the Sorcerer's Stone. Right. But in the British version, they say the Philosopher's Stone. They actually changed a lot of like Britishisms in the book. Sure. Less and less as it went on. But one that definitely confused me in the books is that they are constantly talking about doing revisions Huh. Which I guess is a British word for studying. But oh. to me, huh. like, that is just was very confusing. Yeah, yeah, for real. Where I was like, how many revisions of your essays, like, do you really need to do, <laughs> you guys? Like, maybe like a first draft, second draft, like, that That should be all. Yeah. Like, you shouldn't really be spending weeks and weeks <laughs> doing revisions, you guys. Well, in fairness, all of these kids got dragged out of regular school where you would learn, you know, reading and writing and math and, <laughs> you know, other other functional adult skills. And now they're taking like divination and stuff, which that takes up part of your day, you know. So probably I've always assumed that everybody in the, the wizarding world gets away with having a like a third grade literacy level. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess it's like kind of assumed that you go to some sort of primary school because what? The Hogwarts school doesn't start until you're 10 years old. Like, yeah. what is that, like fifth grade or something? Like, <laughs> come on. There there must be something before. And then I, I think at one point in in an interview or in Pottermore or something, J.K. Rowling was like, well, most wizards homeschool, but some do send their children to like muggle <laughs> schools or whatever. I was like, ah, I don't know. That doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah. <laughs> but I do miss in the in the audiobooks, they're always talking about the ostentatious outfits that everyone's wearing, um, especially when they try to dress as muggles or whatever. Like they're always talking about like, oh, Dumbledore was going to town and he was like, 
wearing like a lime green scarf and yeah, like sure. purple pants he's got, and like, like all live, stuff. He's got live <laughs> silver frogs like in his beard and his hair. Yeah. So I definitely miss that because you, you forget like when you watch the movies like everything's so dark and dour like everyone's just wearing black all the time that <laughs> you just miss the ostentatious fashions that were dreamed up in the original writing. Talking about Harry Potter and it reminded me of I think my high note for this week is you know the onion has been running click hole for quite a while which is the, oh yeah the mock-up of um like a buzzfeed style you know clickbait site and they also have one called patriot hole which is a bunch of <laughs> I forgot like, about maga that. stuff well they have a they have a new one that is called resistance hole and i have been loving watching these articles get posted here is how it ties into the harry potter one of their headlines from wednesday was Take that, Trump lovers. A research team at MIT has conclusively proved that Trump equals Voldemort. <laughs> it is true. It's sci- That's just science right there. Oh, uh, they're so good. Mr. Drumpf, your newest nightmare is a website called Resistance Hole. It's all of the tropes from the hashtag resistance just made up as as if everyone's winning you know resistance win this artist was going to draw trump and putin kissing but was worried that seemed homophobic so he had them kiss while thinking about pamela anderson and he's got the like the <laughs> the the wall art of them kissing but they're both thinking about you know her in the Baywatch outfit. This one's good. Game over, Trump. An ancient order of Franciscan monks has released a 13th century tapestry depicting Donald Trump colluding with Russian officials. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah, they really like the uh, the game over clickbait construct. You know, game over, Trump. This intrepid New York Times reporter has just two seasons left of The Wire, and then he'll be free to blow the lid off the Russia investigation. <laughs> yeah, so that's been a treat. It's kind of nice. I don't think that making fun of the the right and the resistance <laughs> is the same sort of thing as uh, like South Park centrism or anything, because the resistance is fairly ridiculous. This one's pretty good. After the island-wide blackout left millions of Puerto Ricans without power, this amazing charity airdropped printouts of the most epic Trump takedowns on Twitter. <laughs> See, this is the one that really got me, and it's because you see it all the time. Every time Donald Trump tweets, you have people in his mentions doing this exact thing. So the the headline is, excuse me, Mr. Trump, sir, but respectfully, Dr. Trump, mind you, Captain (laughs) President, sir, and there's nothing you can do about it, good professor. Uh, You got to respect the office, though. I mean... I mean, that's Republicans always abided by that while Obama was in power. So it's only fair that we give him the respect and deference that he so justly deserves. Hey, look, hashtag my president, President Josiah Bartlett, one time hired basically Tommy Lahren on the West Wing because she had good principles, even though she was... (laughs) One of those, you know, like nagging blonde talking oh. heads who completely speaks out of that her ass. That was that. Oh, uh, yeah. Her character was was pretty uh, was pretty hilarious, though. But once she learned the true good hearted nature of liberals, she was she <laughs> right. was on board. <laughs> yeah, they, they played a little bit of Gilbert and Sullivan for her. And yeah, it, was, it was all good. She was on Put board. her in that basement or whatever. <laughs> I like how even even in the most outlandish liberal fantasy, they're like, what if we hired a Republican <laughs> pundit and we just taught her that it was nice to be nice yeah, to people? Absolutely. You know, whereas they actually do stick her in a basement. And if, a, you know, if a Democratic <laughs> presidential administration wanted to hire like Tommy Lahren, 
and then just literally put her in a closet. <laughs> uh, I couldn't be more on board with that project. I need to do a rewatch with a new with this new perspective and <laughs> just see if they were just <laughs> secretly dunking on her the entire time. <laughs> That's pretty good high notes to take the show out on, I think. Uh, Brendan. Thanks for joining in on this. Thanks for the the reschedule. Yeah, no, it worked out. Uh, it worked out well. Glad we could get Noah on. And uh, man, his uh, his book it was pretty cool. And he's got a lot. I really am interested in his uh, his book about Wonder Woman because that is definitely a topic that is quite fascinating to read about. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. Everything about uh, William Moulton Marston and his his multiple sister wives and. How he like invented the lie detector and then used it in Hollywood. It, yeah, that's that's oh, an amazing man. story. I was talking earlier about the Slow Burn podcast. Uh, this is the Slate podcast about Watergate. Yeah, and it's quite fascinating to see the parallels between Watergate and with the the current Trump administration. But at one point, they talked about how the Watergate hearings were being televised and they were like so popular that like soap opera ratings were like plummeting because everyone was just watching these these televised <laughs> sure. hearings and uh, a company started marketing a lie detector that it was an audio only lie detector oh that's right you could hook it up to your tv yes yeah, so you could just point it at your television <laughs> and then it would tell you like which nixon officials were lying uh, oh, in their so in their good. testimony to, to congress <laughs> Uh, and I can totally see that happening any day now when... Oh, why don't we bring that back? <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Oh, it's going to happen, man. <laughs> it's going to happen for sure. This is how we're going to fund the podcast from now on. We're going to sell our, you know, which Trump administration official is lying on, uh, lying before Congress right now. Yeah, there'll be like a, there'll be a resistance version um, <laughs> shaped like a gavel or something. And then there'll be like the Trump version, like shaped like an eagle or something like that. And yeah, it'll just be an app or whatever nowadays, but... The leftist version is literally just a piece of paper that you put over your TV screen that says all of these people are lying because they don't believe anybody else. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Okay, well, look out for that product launch on our Twitter. We're at liquid underscore flannel. Uh, You probably listen to us on SoundCloud, but if you're one of those people who gets us on iTunes, rate us and like us. It does help get the word out, but mostly it's just nice to get feedback. Right, so. and it's 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 easy to do, and we'll totally read whatever hilarious comments you post on the air. So, hey, there you go. Yeah, uh, basically a Patreon subscription reward, but you don't have to give us any money. Bonus. <laughs> and as always, I am Matthew Hodges. I'm at Matt the Great with the W. Brendan. I'm at Brendan Williams with one L on Twitter. And we will. Be glad to have you with us next week. 